Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Bob Left Sets Podcast. My guest today is Amit Zappa, co-trustee of the Zappa Trust. Amit, great to have you. I'm so happy. Love your show. Happy to be here. You know, thank you. Okay. What is the Zappa Trust? Uh, uh, it's, it's the name that I guess um, our family business fell under the mega uber dis- description of all things Frank Zappa. Um, you know, my, my mother passed away a couple years ago and, you know, my dad passed away, you know, uh, over 20 some odd years ago. And everything was put into a trust, and uh, I, I didn't know much about it until my mother passed away, and and you know I, I got a real education pretty fast on on what happens when <laughs> you know when your parents pass, when you become an orphan, what happens when your parents pass, and you know, I had to figure out how do you deal with the IRS and how do you uh, put a price tag on intangibles? <laughs> how do you um, try to take something that wasn't, to be totally honest, very organized and, um, you know, turn it into a successful business uh, for everyone in my family? Uh, so, I mean, really. Okay. So, your father died mm-hmm. at, the, at around that time or just before he licensed, all his music went to Ryko. Is that a licensing deal? Do you still own all his music? No. Uh, my dad instructed my mother. Yeah, this is what I want to get to, right? Uh, well, I, I, I don't know if it's instructed. Uh, they just had lots of conversations. My, my, my mother and father were you know, business partners. My mom was a real pioneer. Um, and, and you know, the Zappa business wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, uh, 
the two of them being real scrappy, you know, because Frank financed everything. Um, you know, he got on the road, the money that he would make, he would put right back into projects. He would pay all the musicians. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if, if people know this, but prior to the Ryko uh, question, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what happened, uh, you know, with that deal. But, you know, my mother was somebody that was like, well, she gets these bills and she sees that, uh, you know, my dad is staying at some hotels and uh, I want to say it was probably with somebody that must have pissed my mother off. Right. And, um, you know, he, he my, my dad apparently was a real cocksmith. <laughs> You know, he's really, oh, really? Yeah, really laying it down with his man hammer. <laughs> so she finds out that, you know, he's with some some chick. And th- think about this. There's four kids. She's at home, you know, w- running the business. And she gets in. Uh, well, she's pissed off. But she uh, says whatever he has spent on this whore. Right. Right. Um uh, on this lady, on this fan, on this groupie, or, you know, I, I don't know this person's name. There's probably gajillions of them. Uh, my mother's like, I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to invest the same amount of money that he's spending on ladies on something called a mail order business, right? And she had collected um, uh, people that were going to the concerts, they would, they would sign up and what year was this? You know, this is, this is, uh, probably late seventies or eighties. And you know, the, it was through her ingenuity, uh, that really the biggest financial successes that my father ever had were directly because of her, you know, she put something out that no one had ever really, uh, thought of before a little something called a box set right so right. i want to say that my my mother and father actually um you know my father gets the credit but it's really my mother is like well let's take all this vinyl that we have old vinyl and bundle it and put it into a box and add some other you know bells and whistles to it and and we put something out called the old masters and it had a hundred dollar price tag you know this is this is Back in the day when there's still record stores, right? And, you know, she she put together her own distribution deals, and and that really was probably the first time uh, Frank, the family, made millions of dollars. Really? Yeah. Okay. You brought up a lot of things. You instantly said your father was not faithful to your mother. Did that cause stress in their relationship? You know, I learned so much of this. Um, you know, some of these details just way later in life. Um, I remember arguments and things, but, uh, you know, I just, I just assumed it was just, you know, your parents fighting. Right. right? And because they didn't really explain it to me, um, who knows? Maybe it was just them fighting, but I'm I'm certain that my mother and father had an understanding. I mean, it, we, it was it was um, a very interesting way to grow up. I I uh, I mean, I I was unaware of any of the other romances that my father would have had. Um, I know he loved our you know our mother, right? Um, because 
you know, I mean, they stayed together th- through through all of it, through right. thick and thin. So, right. um, it's it's really at, right around my when when my mother was probably only had a few months left. Uh, I got up the courage to just ask questions. Oh, really? Yeah, to to you know things that I don't know if I ever needed the answers for, but then once you kind of took the lid off, uh, and then the way that she answered certain questions, I was shocked. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know, um, if you are the kind of person that if your parents ever talked about hooking up with people, like I, I don't, you're like, ah, no, no, I no, 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 burn no, my no. fucking ears off. Know. I don't want to know. Um, and, <laughs> but she was pretty forthcoming with like, you know, the, the, their shared experiences, their, you know, it's, I, it was the seventies and they, they lived it up and I had no fucking idea. If you would have told me, uh, you know, I think if someone would have asked me, do your parents ever have like three ways or do anything like that? I would be like, fuck no. And I would have been dead wrong. Wow. <laughs> let me just say let me just say that there's, you know, you you discover a lot of things when you have to organize um a household because my mother was also someone who who never threw anything away and every single thing under the sun and moon was um preserved or uh documented in some capacity. So fuck, bro. <laughs> Okay, this is a very interesting thing because your father was a legendary musician with mm-hmm. a long career till he was unfortunately cut down uh, with cancer. But when it went, your mother died. Mm-hmm. She was still living up uh, at the top of Laurel Canyon, right? Yeah, that's okay. where that was her house. Right. So, did you throw anything out? No. What do you mean? When, when she when, died, when? and all the stuff was in the house. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, it was. When I have you ever seen the documentary Grey Gardens? No. You should check it out. Okay. Um, when I say my mother didn't throw anything away, uh, there might be newspapers that are just all stacked uh, in one side that was a story my mother kept or thought she was going to read later on. And um, so she, irrelevant of your father being famous, she was a hoarder. Yeah, she's she was. I do. I, I kind of think that there's a method to her madness because she understood what was in all the piles. You know, I'm the same way. I'm a hoarder. I just had to move, and I had to throw stuff out. That's why I'm interested in your story. Well, yeah, there was lots. There was definitely lots of things to to get rid of. Um, but, but I mean, the, things like stack of newspapers that meant nothing to. But anything attached to your father? Did you throw any of that out? I was in a really uh, well. My my reality changed the the day my mother passed away. That's when I learned that I was a co-trustee of the family business. And that actually comes with really huge responsibilities. So she had never discussed that after she dies in terms of the business. They never discussed. I didn't get to have a conversation with her after her death. No, that, no, but I mean before, because you got all these talks about her wild and woolly life. She hadn't talked about after she passed because she was sick about you're going to have, you know, you're going to be a co-trustee or what? No, I mean, the I was already working uh, and helping her out um, prior to, you know, right before she even knew she was sick. Um, he, she, she was trying to, well... 
I have to go back to the Ryko. Yeah, yeah. Home, I was gonna right? bring it back. Keep so, going. So, uh, when my dad passed, uh, my dad was like, you know, why don't we sell the masters, keep publishing? And he was like, just get out of it. You know, it's like a fucking horrible business, <laughs> the music business. You know, go to Malibu and, and, you know, I, I relax. Right. And that, my mother, I think, took that to heart. Um, sold uh, the the then masters to to Ryko Disc, but you know, in in the process, you know, many years later, um, there's a, there's a, something in the the language uh, in the contract. My 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 father was really particular about um, uh, the sonic excellence of his music, and you know, he was someone who. Uh, was a real futurist and he wrote papers about how in the future music, I think he even talks about it in the real Frank Zappa book somewhere um, that in the future music was going to be delivered telephonically, you know, through, through the internet essentially. There's a famous uh, YouTube clip too, where he goes on about this. So um, he put some language in the, in, in the, the sale that it couldn't be below a certain bit rate. Right. Um, because of compression and right. you know what have you, and that 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 was still emerging technologies, you know, um, and so Rykodisc winds up selling to Warner's, um, and Warner's tries to put out the music digitally, and we're like, well, you actually don't have those rights, and that became a big lawsuit. And wait, wait, wait! If they sold it to Warner, why couldn't they put out the music? Because it it didn't qualify to the language in the contract, okay. so okay. there was nothing about digital streaming or you know. So they didn't have the right to do that. They didn't have the rights, uh-huh. and part of um, and this is this is this is my understanding of it. I'm sure there might be other people that you know might have you know deeper, richer information, meaning attorneys that. You know, have gone okay. through the contracts, but uh, I think just generally, uh, I, what I'm talking about is pretty accurate. Um, so, long story short, uh, they didn't have the rights. Warner's didn't have the rights, and I think that in the sale, um, uh, Ryko, I, I think presented to Warner's that they could. So it was a whole kerfuffle. Got it. Got and, it. And and we were kind of in the middle of it. And our whole thing was like, why don't we partner and, you know, figure this out and do it together. And uh, the heads of business affairs would change so frequently in the business um, that we were kind of in this limbo land. And, um, you know, really before my mother's passing uh, at one of her last birthdays, um, the family was able to actually get all the music back. Okay. So at this point in time, all of those records that were licensed to Ryko, you now own. Uh, we made a new um, partnership with Universal, um, and that's kind of what I was what I was brought in, I suppose, to do uh, before my mother passed. You know, we had a big family sit down, and my mother explained to you know the family that um, you know I you know she first talked to me personally. It was like, I can't fight for my life and fight for this business. And I, and I need help. And she needed financial help. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's of my opinion, you know, I did things, I think differently than my brother and sisters. And in that I left at an early age, the house, I went out on my own. 
I didn't live off of the family business, you know. Uh, so, you know, I just, I, I, I was started my own production company and just, I've worked in other businesses and made my own money. So when my mother need help, needed help, I could provide financial help right. or business help. And, um, and I was able to really bail her out. Uh, okay. Then, before we get there, is your the, deal with universal, is that a licensing deal or do they own it? Um, it's, uh, it's something that I I uh, I don't think I can get into the details of because it's it's still an ongoing, okay. you know, really great, really really great relationship that I have with. Okay, so let's go back to the very beginning because you talked about your life. Mm -hmm. When do you realize your father is Frank Zappa? I mean, my parents introduced themselves to us as Frank and Gail. I never called him mom and dad. So wow. <laughs> he was, he was Frank. Yeah. But I meant really in terms of his fame, notoriety place in the culture. I didn't ever think about it. You know, um, I know that sounds like maybe a cop out answer, but you know, if my friends at school or in preschool, like one could be a lawyer, one could be an actor, one could be a bus driver, whatever it was, the profession, you know, there were my friends' parents were equally as famous for just being a, a parent. Do you know what I mean? It had nothing to do with, uh, I think, what you're scratching at, like, oh, it should be some uh, unbelievable miracle that my dad is, you know, Frank right. Zappa. Like, my dad was just someone who uh, always championed my creativity, uh, let me be a fly on the wall in his business meetings. Um, was really interested in uh, what our interests were because I th I think we as his children influenced um, him in many different ways. You know, I I, I mean I, I assume this because as a father myself, I see naturally what my kids are into, and it informs me. Uh, I have opinions about it. You know, so um, I guess. I, I I reflect back on uh, those times with my with my dad as remarkable because my really really my mother and father are were so unique because they um, I think made decisions to not be like their own parents and um, gave us the freedom to develop and choose. Our spiritual out a spirituality. Um, so, as parents, uh, and all of us being different in, in in our house, like my brother was super interested in music and playing guitar, and you know they had that kind of relationship, and uh, and I think with my mother and father, I had equal interest in just how they were doing things, you know, how, how are they able to pay for something? How, when you conceive of a creative idea, how do you see it from the beginning, middle and end? How do you complete something, you know? Um, and they really instilled, instilled a fearlessness in me to, uh, just, you know, deeply believe that anything is possible. And, um, you know, I mean, it served me well. Okay. So, uh, Frank was working a lot. Did you have any of the luxuries of having a famous patient, a uh, parent going on vacation, eating at fine restaurants, any of that? Uh, yeah. I mean, 
but again, I feel like my, all my, my answers are boring, kind of few and far between. Uh, cause my, my dad would either be on the road or he was just a homebody because the studio was at the house. Um, and he was such a night owl that I missed a lot of things. You know, uh, people would, he, he would send out for food. Um, the fine dining experiences happened at places like Le Cirque right. where, you know, I, I, I'm sure we embarrassed him. I remember, I remember one, one moment when he was really sick and he was working on the yellow shark. I don't know if you know that, yes. that record with the ensemble modern. And, and so we're in Frankfurt and I, I forget the name of the hotel that we're staying at, but it was a you know, fancy hotel. And I see him in the distance. He's, he's having some meeting and <laughs> I want to say it was, you know, me, Dweezil and moon. I don't think Diva was present. Um, you know, but we, we were all there as a family and, uh, I start doing this like really bad jazz bow dance to the, the, you know, the jazz piano right. player. Right. And I gotta say that normally that would make my dad chuckle, but the pressure that he was under, uh, or, or the feelings he was feeling, um, I, I chalk that up to like, wow, did I really shit the bed this hard? Because, you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out doing this, you know, weird dance, kooky dance. And from across the room, I get like, there's like a smile for a moment. And then the, this fucking look, right. And he comes over and I've never, this is like the most corporate fucking thing my dad ever said to me. It was like, this hotel is part of a chain. <laughs> and if you ever want to stay here again, <laughs> you should not, you know, do that. And I was like, wow, that is, wasn't expecting that, you know? Right. But he'd obviously, you know, that was the era when people got kicked out of a lot of hotels. He learned the lesson. Well, I, I, that felt very, very unusual. Uh, you know, I think normally those kinds of things would be celebrated unless you were interrupting, I suppose. And, and maybe, maybe I'm answering my own question right now as I'm reminiscing about this, unless you were messing with his, you know, work, right. right? The workflow, then that was a, a severe annoyance. Well, how often did you go on the road with him? Um, half a dozen times. So not that many. It wasn't a family thing. We're all going to get on the bus. Well, I was born in 74. So, right. um, I don't know how many tours that were kind of in between. Um, I mean, if, if memory serves, I, I remember going to London a lot, um, right. uh, Germany a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we would, we would kind of travel, but my mother and father had friends and, it was pretty exciting to exciting times, but my dad got sick when I was 15. So it really kind of stopped like that 88 tour. He wasn't feeling good. There was bad situations happening with the band members and you know, so it really changed. Uh, Okay, you talked about your father being a night owl. I once heard a story that your father would work his way around the clock and that he would work till he was done and then he would sleep and then whatever time of day it was. Is that true or untrue? Yeah. Time there he, there was no some there was no schedule like that. He was he would work until um, he was exhausted. 
I, but I think he was the the work was so fun, and well, he's just so prolific. I mean, we have thousands and thousands and thousands of tapes. So much music in the vault. He recorded everything. Where's where are those tapes today? Uh, we have them safe and secure. I'm, I don't know if you know of a place called Iron Mountain. Absolutely. Um, but uh, they've been really great. Um, you know, everything used to be housed in a you know a pretty decent temperature controlled space um, in our you know at, at what used to be our family home. Uh, and then when the business, because it was run out of the house, when we, when we had to sell the house, it was actually instructed in the trust. Oh, really? Yeah. After your mother died, you had to sell the house? Yeah. So, like, you know, people just have the, I'm sure, the worst opinion about um, some fucking nightmare, you know, douchebag or something. But <laughs> in my opinion, it's, the, it's not. Okay, but let's not go back case. a little bit to the history. Mm-hmm. You say you left home at what age? Um, I moved out uh, around 18. You know? And what was your thought? I wasn't really thinking about it. Well, what know? did you do when you were 18? Well, your parents ever talked to you about going to college? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. I because dro- of you or because of them? Um, I dropped out of school in the beginning of eighth grade. I missed more than half a year of school each year prior to that. My parents felt that school was ruining my creativity. So what they would do instead... Um, up until, you know, I, I guess I moved out and started making my own money. Um, they would invest in my creative endeavors, which would be what at those age? Well, um, at one point I had this notion, um, uh, they, they found this guy to help me out. I can't remember his first name was Wally and I'm totally blanking on his, on his last name. It could have been like Wally, like Pfizer or something. Um, but I was interested in doing something, you know, different with credit cards. So as a 13 year old or 12 year old, um, I was like, well, how come there isn't a credit card for, for kids? And, you know, I want to get more benefit because I was looking at the back of these, um, my dad's like cigarettes and, you know, there was like the cigarette points and, right. And I I was seeing some of these, uh, loyalty programs, right? And I was like, well, why can't we do that with credit cards? You know, why can't I get more benefits if I want to go see a concert or go see a movie? Uh, you know, where's my lifestyle card? Why don't, you know, we create this kind of like cashless society. And um, I came up with this plan to do, to make something called a report card and to utilize um, some of the it's only really in the last couple of years is the technology here, but because I had traveled, they, the credit cards there had chips, you know, and you can put so much more information on the chips. So I wanted to have this smart card that could create a loyalty program around, um, I guess stuff I was interested in, uh, entertainment and you maybe put money back into the school system. So I was calling it the report card. Um, and you know, I was really interested in, in the local, uh, restaurants and businesses that were around schools because I figured, well, then kids couldn't all, they, they'd also learn to be more responsible with their money. Uh, the parents were the ones that could, um, you know, put your allowance on it. Right. And 
you couldn't buy drugs with it. You know what I mean? It was accepted everywhere. What did you do uh, drugs when you were a teenager? I've never, I've never tried any drugs. I've never smoked pot. My wife thought I was so, I guess, uh, boring. She introduced me to tequila, and now I'm a fucking massive tequila <laughs> fan. <laughs> you know, among other uh, okay alcoholic beverages. But when you move out, what do you what do you do for work? What do you do for income? Well. You know, as an example, um, just in terms of the the access, I think I don't I don't think American Express or Visa or Mastercard uh, would have taken the phone call from a twelve year old. But my parents, knowing I wasn't going to school, they're like, "All right, well, let's go to White Plains. Let's go, you know, fly and see all the heads of." the credit card companies. And this is when I pitched out, which essentially is like loyalty programs for credit cards, right? As a kid, you know, and I would make, do these presentations and kind of walk in there pretty fearlessly and say like, Hey, this is why I think you should do it. And that's just an example of uh, how my parents supported, yeah. you know, my business ideas and, and, um, and I've just been kind of fortunate in the way that people would go and see Frank and discuss new ideas with him, or he would engage with, with people around an idea he had and, and his gravitational pull uh, for interesting characters. Um, I, I feel like I have that same thing happening in, in my world to some extent. You know, I, I wind up meeting very interesting individuals and I, you know, connect the dots. You know, I've been involved in tons of different businesses. I mean, when I, when I left, I guess I was a child actor, uh, and made somewhat of a living. Um, uh, and then I started hosting shows with my brother and, um, we played in a band together and, and, you know, then I went off, uh, on my own and really wanted to become a storyteller. And I wound up setting up, a. I wrote my first book, the uh, um, the monstrous memoirs of a mighty McFairless. I wound up selling that to Disney for a million and a half dollars, and selling it around the world for millions of dollars, and uh, set up my production company at Disney, and then started a really unique kind of production company where I had one foot in consumer products and one foot in the motion picture group, and uh, worked on a lot of interesting pieces of technology with Imagineering. And um, I really pursued things that my father, or in a lot of cases, my mother, inspired me with stuff that they fantasized about that um, stoked the flames of my own imagination. And I think because of the access that I had, I just learned things from the access I had from being a fly in the wall with my dad. Uh, piqued my curiosity, and uh, you know, I learned enough, I guess, to be dangerous by not going to school and not having my creativity ruined and not going to college. <laughs> you right. know, so I've I've just been able to. I've only ever had jobs in, in the entertainment industry, and I've I've survived. You know? Okay, but you famously hosted a show for a mm -hmm. while, right? How did that come together? What was that like? I've hosted thousands of hours of television. Shitty, shitty fucking television. And <laughs> honestly, it would give me diarrhea. Uh, I'd be so nervous about it. I, I, was, I think I was mostly known for uh, controlled chaos. You could give me bullet points and say like, okay, we need, we need to 
somehow you need to steer this crazy ship that's going down in flames. You need to land this plane, <laughs> right? right? And that's those are the kinds of jobs that, that I would get. But I, I, when you say you, I hosted some show, right. I, I don't know which one you're talking about because there's honestly been a tremendous amount of well, dog shit. Well, it was a series you were involved in for a number of years. Wh- which one, bro? <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, for, for, the, for the people that care at all, uh, you can see the, the pile of dog shit that I've been associated with. Um, and maybe that's a terrible thing to say about... Uh, the shows that that I was interested in because it paid my bills right. and, I, and I I had good times and Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos and I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I I was never happy doing hosting um, a lot of those shows. the The only the big regret um, is that I I had the opportunity. I actually auditioned a couple of times to be the the host of Let's Make a Deal. Really? And that was always my dream job. I love that. I love that show. Okay, but you thought that would make you happy. It would have made you happy. 
I do like the, I love sitting down and talking with people. I thought that was a pretty interesting format because it's a bunch of crazy, crazies right. getting dressed up. And, you know, I, I love the whole Monty of it all where he put his hand in his pocket and be like, all right, you, here's a, you can take a hundred bucks here or you can find out what's behind door number one or door number two. Monty, tell them. Yeah, I, lo- right. I could not, I could never get enough of that show. That was my favorite of the afternoon game shows. Loved, that's for sure. Loved. Uh, and that that's that's like my anything that smells like that or feels like that, I would totally do that kind of a thing again. Uh, I, I'm very I'm comfortable in that setting. I like doing talk shows. I, I like sitting down with you because right. we're, we're having a conversation. I feel like there's a real connection. Um, but I guess the part that was more stressful is sticking to a script um, is just, you know, learning the lines to deliver the, the sort of business was, it's always pretty stressful. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm, and in this window, somewhere along the line, you married Selma Blair, I did. Who, who was a movie star at the time. How did that come together? I actually saw her. Uh, she was, she had a boyfriend at the time sitting on some dude's lap. I was at this restaurant called Fred Siegel Um or uh, I forget what the, the restaurant at Fred right. Siegel. I forget what I forget what it's called actually right now. Um, but uh, I was with my friend Jules, and she walks in, and I'd seen her in um, either Cruel Intentions or something, and I was like, you know what? Like I should marry. Like that's that's someone I should marry. Okay. Right. It's to- totally random. Right. Uh, and then a few. Months later, a mutual friend, I didn't know her at all, uh, but, a, but a mutual friend um, actually introduced us. And, um, you know, that was, that was, that was crazy. That, <laughs> that I got married, <laughs> I got married in Princess Leia's backyard, right? <laughs> so Carrie Fisher demanded. That's what I always call her. It's yeah, Princess Leia. Yeah. Carrie demanded, you know, like, you have to get married here. And on that particular day, she was off meds or I don't know what happened to her, but uh, for someone who insisted on us getting, getting married at her house, she showed up and was like, who are all these people and what is going on? Right. Um, and believe me, it wasn't a surprise. You, you kind of got to be organized if you're going right. to, you know, have all that stuff going on. So that's, you know, that was a pretty funny experience. And, uh, when we were looking at her house as a location, um, this is so fucking funny to me. Uh, hopefully you'll appreciate the story, but we were all in Carrie's room. Uh, my mother, uh, Tracy Ullman, uh, this is not me name dropping. I'm just trying to set the stage, right? So Carrie, Selma, my mother, Tracy, um, and like, you know, Carrie would have people just hang out in her bedroom. I don't know. It's so, if you if you were friendly with her, I was not. Um, well, you know she. There's a lot of similarities, I think, in um, uh, art appreciation with with Carrie and my mother, and they were friendly. My my mom and Carrie, you know, knew each other socially. So uh, we're again we're 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 hanging out in her room, and everyone leaves uh, except we're, we're walking into her kitchen and. I remember seeing I remember seeing Tracy's shoes and 
Um, so I was hanging back with my mother for, for 10 seconds, right? So now it's just the two of us walking out of the, out of the, uh, the, the Carrie's bedroom together, um, to walk towards the kitchen. And I see Tracy's shoes, uh, and it's like, she's trying to plug in a lamp underneath the piano in the living room. Right. And I thought it would just be really funny to play the exorcist, you know, play tubular, <laughs> tubular bells while she's under there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I decided to aggressively play that tune. Right. And then, you know, Tracy and Carrie uh, and Selma come out of the kitchen, like into the living room. So I'm like, well, oh, who the fuck is now under the the piano and and like I'm like well fuck I'm I'm that's uh, what an assholeic thing for me to do and it was Debbie Reynolds right uh, her mom Carrie's mom under wow. under the piano and I'm playing the Exorcist but then Carrie is looking at her mom under the piano as I'm playing the Exorcist and it was kind of like the perfect moment if you've read any of Carrie's autobiographies. So it turned out to be a pretty hysterical moment for just to be clear. So what you thought were Tracy Ullman shoes were ultimately Debbie Reynolds. Yes. What I just, what I, 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 because of the shoes, I just assumed it was Tracy under the piano and it turned out it was Carrie Fisher's mom. Okay. So how does it end with Selma? Uh, Pretty, it was pretty traumatic for me. I had to, I had to go to a behavioralist afterwards and uh, try to understand why I had uh, uh, such a bad job of picking, you know, people to spend, uh, to get into romantic relationships with. Um, it, you know, we, we ultimately got divorced and, you know, it's pretty sad what she's right. going through now. Do you have any contact with her? No, not really. Right. I mean, I, I, I've, of course, I wish her and I don't. I don't believe family. in having contact with the exes. Too much history. No, she's 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 reached out, but it was pretty pretty traumatic for me. I, I mean, well, uh, did she leave you or how uh, did I- honestly? If I'm being really blunt, um, she might have been turned out to be the meanest person I've ever been in a relationship with um, because there were she had some some personal. Uh, issues, you know, um, that, you know, she's had other scenarios that I'm sure people can read about, right. you know, but, um, and I really do wish her, I wish her well, but for me, I wound my, I, I found myself, uh, cataloging like, uh, how many drinks someone might have, <laughs> you know, and, and like becoming very aware of, of how personalities could change if you know X, Y, or Z happens, and it made me a little a little cuckoo in having to. I, I it was it was really strange. If I really reflect uh, on on my life to this to this moment, I think um, my mother and father's relationship uh, and the stress it might have ca- caused my mother in maybe his dalliances with other women um, and, or my mom's up and ups and downs. It was, it was a pretty harsh reality when I saw a behavioralist and, and the, he was like, well, so basically you, you married your mother. Right. And I was like, fuck that. I did not like, fuck you for even saying that. What do you mean? (laughs) You know? And then when I started to kind of get underneath what I think, you know, he was saying, not only was, was I going through, uh, 
the pain of, you know, because I'm a pretty intentional person. If I say I'm going to do something uh, and make a commitment, I that's really important to me. And I the failure of the marriage was a huge blow to me. You know, that that notion, I never thought it was going to be someone that would ever get divorced or um, uh, I think I just swung the total polar opposite way of, of, I guess the, the relationship that the energy I was feeling from my parents, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which I felt the same <clears throat> way. You know, I got divorced. My ex left me and after she left, I was, I never would have divorced her. It's like my parents stayed together. My parents fought same thing really fucked me up. Yeah. It, it was, it was hard to, to deal with, but, I found myself being a really harsh critic uh, of of you know, of the choices I made, uh, but I have to say, uh, and, and maybe this is just bumper sticker wishful thinking. If all roads lead to the road that you're on, um, I, that journey of self discovery after the fact of you know why was I attracted to say let's say like chaos. Right. Um, it led me to, I, I truly, I worship my wife. Okay. So how long after you were done with Selma, did you meet your wife? A couple of years. And how'd you meet her? Um, through a, a mutual friend actually. Um, and what's interesting is we had probably been in the same place at the same time, you know, Right. dozens of times and just never, you know, laid eyes on one another. Not that I'm surprised, but my wife is, <laughs> you is know, your, was your wife in the business? She, she, uh, I, yes, but for a brief moment of time, if you mean the business, like an actress or right, something like right, that, right. she, I think, you know, dabbled and then, then no, she's like, fuck that noise. I'm out. And what kind of background does she come from? So she grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, her brother, who's who's a great actor um, and a you know m m really my brother as right. well. You know, I I feel so blessed in that. Really, when I married into her family, uh, very different style of parenting, um, very different uh, um, support system. You know, I think the environment I was in um, could have been pretty competitive, you know, and, and her, her world is just everyone is um, pretty supportive. Um, not, that's not to say that, you know, my parents weren't totally supportive because they were, but uh, it, would, it would be like a whole other shell, hours, <laughs> to kind of go over why the, the subtle differences, but they're, 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 they are different. Um, uh, now, how many kids do you have? I have two little ones. How old are they? I have an eight-year-old who will be nine in December, and I have a three-year-old. My daughter is the oldest, and my son is the youngest. He just he just turned three. Okay, are you going to raise them like your parents raised you? Or are you going to do a one eighty? I don't even put too much thought into it. You know, my philosophy um, is a lot of communication. Obviously, with my wife, communication is super important. But um, I, I I suppose the thing I'm consciously doing different if I'm thinking about my dad is 
I'm I'm more available. Right. You know, and I did this. Uh, I put this show together called The Bizarre World of Frank Zappa. <clears throat> which was this whole multimedia smorgasbord of awesome. And it was, you know, all, all my, a bunch of my dad's um, band members, people he loved to play with. They, they went out on the road um, and it was this, you know, fantastic show and it'll, it'll go out again in the, in the near future. But um, I have, I spent so much time directing, uh, conceiving of all the visuals and the storytelling that's associated with the, with the music um, that, when it actually came time to showtime and I traveled with the tour and that was the first time I'd been, been away from my kids. I was like, wow, I'm kind of like living, uh, it was surreal. Cause it, I felt like I was my dad, not, not like I was him, but m like, um, uh, I was, um, I created a similar dynamic that my father had, when he was out on the road, where when he would call, I had just these fleeting moments that were so meaningful, meaningful for me. And all I had was a telephone and I would miss him so much. Right. And, and think about like, when is he coming home and all of this stuff. Um, and I was, I would wonder, you know, was what is he, is he thinking about his kids and the family, you know, just things you think about when you're a kid. And then here I am as an adult at roughly the same kind of age, on the like you know the roles have reversed and that was a real uh trip uh to 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 do that but then it's also my dad's music that that's in the show uh so it was pretty cathartic to it was on so many levels it was to to be in that experience and meet so many fans of my dad's music um it made a huge impact on on me as as I understand uh, who I am as a father, you know, and you know, I I I, I they love me, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any kids, but I take your word for it. Let's go back. So you say you start working with your mother a year mm -hmm. about a year before she passes on financial matters. Yeah, I'm a little confused. The trust you still own the publishing to the music. Yeah. So the financial matters are the the cost of the the long legal battle was millions. I mean, five six million dollars, something crazy, right? So she was really in the hole. And part of the way to get the music back was um, when when the when that um, deal was struck. Uh, There's you know payments. Right, and if she was ever to default on the payments, then we'd lose the music. Right, so uh, it, it was a pretty hefty price tag because she sold the music for a lot of a lot of money. So then to be able to buy uh, the the music back, to get it back, um, you know, I I would I'd get a fucking call. Uh, she's like, I, I need a million dollars in a month. <laughs> you know, I'm like. Uh, what the fuck? Right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. And I'd have to figure that out. Right, you know? right. Um, and I did that a couple of times, actually. So, Where'd you get the money from? You know, I, I would reorganize business deals or, or make new kinds of... I'd have to analyze the assets, you know. Um, I put in my own money and, you know, there, I, just, I did whatever, whatever we could do um, to... 
make sure our our business partners uh, were satisfied and obviously try to do the best that we could um, with a mindful eye on you know this is this is my mother's livelihood it's you know she lost the the man she loved and you know as 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 much as i think my older brother or older sister or my little sister or even myself have opinions about what it could have should have right you know it was always my sort of point of view it's like it, it's not my business i didn't make the music i wasn't i wasn't my dad's business partner you know and so i have i had no attachment to um the the a the money or b um you know it really wasn't something that i i i wanted to do yeah um let me say it this way my mother was someone <laughs> that like you know she was she's big she's a big democrat and um you know, she she donate she would donate a lot of money to causes she believed in, and there was this opportunity to go have a photo op with the you know then president and vice president, and she calls me and says, "Hey, do you want to go to this this event?" And I say, "Not at all, not interested." I'm sure other you know, right. I'm sure other people would be interested, and she so she's like well this is why i'm taking you because everyone else wants to go i'm like well great i really don't want to go and then it would become an argument which is like well i want to take you yeah. so you know that i think in a weird way um in that uh, my being self-sufficient or trying to be fair-minded for all of the f family members um, which I really genuinely take seriously and, and want to try to do. Uh, I think that that's why I woke up with this, um, why she asked me for help. Cause she, she would all the time, you know, like a come to Okay. Just to be clear, meeting. your three siblings, were they capable of giving help? I'm talking about business insight. Were they no. not that kind of person? No, no. They, financially, uh, I don't, I, I don't think that they, um, I don't think so, but I mean, they might have a different opinion. Right. Um, but were they living off the family money or were they making their own money? Uh, I don't really know to the extent all of those details. I mean, there's a lot of help given. Right. Uh, you know, my brother didn't move out till he was 37 or right. 36 or something, which to me is just not my lifestyle. Right. You know, that I was like, I want my own space. I don't want to have my bedroom next to my mother's <laughs> bed, you know? Right. I mean, like that doesn't make a, a bit of sense, you know, but there were some pretty awkward, funny moments, uh, you know, that I, I've shared with, uh, you know, like when, when he got married, my mom was like, okay, you're, you're married now and you need to get out, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, and, but you should ask him about, it. you should have him on the show. Cause he's, he's a super amazing, talented, um, you know, musician. He's a, he's a, like, he's a mutant. Like my dad was a mutant. You know, he does things with his instruments that are, he's, I mean, he's so, he's so phenomenal. I wish that for him, if he was born like 10 years earlier, 
he would have been more popular than Edward Van Halen, you know, like he just, I think missed this window. Um, and his music style, in my opinion, has just changed a lot. Cause he's, you know, by, by playing Frank's music and really studying it. Um, he, 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 again, watch him play. It's, it's, it's fucking insane. He's, he's really amazing. Um, and my, my older sister inspired me in so many ways. Cause she, she does a lot of stand up. Um, she wrote her, her first book and I really thought like, wow, I'd love to be able to achieve, you know, for someone, you know, that dropped out of high school, missed more than half a year of school each year and super, super bad dyslexia, by the way, I have really weird learning disabilities. Um, the idea of, of accomplishing what she accomplished was so inspiring to me. Um, and and she was there for me more than I think uh, my mom was too a lot of the time. And I really, I was really bummed out when she moved out. Like that was a huge blow to me. She she moved out I think when she was eighteen too, um, and I was gutted. You know, she she's like super mama bear. Like was always cooking something, making chai tea, and you know it's. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just so, it's just a fucking bummer. That's just what, what happens when, when like family members die, people go, birds go insane. Birds go insane. That's all I can say. Uh, it's, it's just a bummer. Okay. So your mother then mm -hmm. dies and it's public information that she does not divide the estate equally. Yeah. What is the inspiration for that? To what degree are you aware it's going to go down that way? And what are the family members' reactions to that? I mean, not not great. I mean, I I I, I think I know why um, that decision was made. So why? Uh, <clears throat> my mother had a life insurance policy that. Uh, she bought after she sold um, uh, the masters. Right. And, you know, the, some of the financing here, I, I can't speak. Someone who probably sells life insurance policies will kind of know what I'm talking right. about. Um, but I'll try to explain it. So she prepaid for this, this, this big, um, you know, life insurance policy. And there's something that, uh, I guess she wasn't aware that was in there. Um, and the way that she did the policy is that she was under the impression that she ever needed uh, money. She could borrow against she it. She could borrow against it. But there's this thing called a mech that was in there that I guess uh, would have had to make her pay an, like a crazy amount on, on taxes, right? That was never part of, um, uh, of her understanding. Right. Right? So... Actually, when she needed to uh, make some make a payment to save all the music, um, she reached out to all of his kids, and um, she was like, "Hey, listen, you know, I want to try to. This is ultimately your right. life insurance policy. It's for you guys that I did. But what's more important to you, money or saving the family business?" And for me, it was no question. Like, you know, I think the family is the most important, and. Uh, yeah, if you need it, whatever you need, you should do. Uh, my little sister was th the same. And uh, my older um, brother and older sister just had a different opinion. Um, and 
I think th- I think that that's a big part of um, it was a big disappointment because it, it was a lot of arguing that uh, that was going on between a lot of stress for me because I had to I was the person that had to find the money to to right. make these payments you know so she never did cash in the life insurance no. policy no okay um, because I found. I found the resources. Right. Um, but I think that the, the, the notion of like, well, what's, what's more important, you know, and all these demands were made, not by my, my, by diva, not, diva or I, right. You know, I think that just was not a good feeling. With the demands being what kind of demands did the other two make? I, you know, you should ask them, uh, because, you know, I already get beaten up enough by. Well, this people. is your chance to tell your side of the story. Well, no, I mean, I'm 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 not trying to hold anything back, but I mean, they, <laughs> you should genuinely. ask No, them. I'm just trying to understand. Before your mother passed, right? They weren't interested in saving the family business, but did they also want to sell it so they could get the cash? Is that what it was about? They wanted. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, you'd have to ask them, but the right. way I right. interpret it is right. like, well, uh, it was never our money to begin with. Right. It was her, right. theirs, so she's asking us what to do because the reason why she's asking is we would all have to agree. Right. Right? So in all of us agreeing, um, it, it, I think revealed, uh, I think, the future, you know? Right. And- it's of my opinion that in that moment, if if she was going to put people that will do what's right for the entirety of the family in place, that's how I view it, you know? And that's my goal is I essentially work for the entire family. As a co-trustee, all it means is that someone has to have the ultimate authority to say yes or no to something. It's not, it doesn't prohibit you know, I, I'm not going to prohibit anyone in my family from ever wanting to do something that is our mutual legacy, if you will, right? We all get the benefit from it. But there's just, a, you know, I, I think it just is weird. It's just weird. Uh, okay. Well, the famous story is about Dweezil going on the road and the issue of his right to be able to do that. Right. He made a lot of public statements. What's your viewpoint on that? Well, um, I can tell you what happened. So uh, he was like, "Okay, this is this is my business," um, and you know, if you, it's so boring. But uh, you know, think of it from this perspective. I think in 1976, my father trademarked Zappa. Okay. Okay. And. Uh, and anytime you get into new businesses, if it was like a new trademark where you, for anyone who knows trademark law or has trademarks, if you're going to be selling T-shirts with a you know a name or a phrase on it or whatever, there's just different classes, right? So, as a family business, we own these marks, right? And I think it's really misleading. Uh, and a lot of people think that I that I tried to trademark <laughs> the name, uh, which is no. I, I I continue to uphold our mark so that we can actually protect the legacy, which is their, which is my older brother and older sister's legacy as well. 
you know? Um, and, you know, the, a lot of that got totally blown out of uh, proportion. And it, honestly, really, I felt like I was be, really being bullied by my older siblings, to be, if I'm being really honest. And I was of the frame of mind that it's not, um, it's really not something I feel like ever really talking about because I feel like it's nobody's business. It's family business. But they, you know, you can look at statements I've made and statements that they've made, and I try to keep it as, um, you know, as private as possible. Uh, and maybe I'm saying way too much. Maybe I'm totally contradicting that notion. But at least up until this moment, I really haven't, <laughs> I haven't right. talked. To, you're asking me, and right, here right. I am. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers, or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I, I feel like no one should air their own family business, but I can honestly tell you that, uh, you know, my feelings were totally hurt and, and so many mean things were uh, have been said and, and done. And, you know, I would never do anything to hurt my 
my family members. Family to me is the most important thing, period. And um, I don't feel entitled to anything. Um, and if, you know, if you asked earlier, and I think when people think that there's a money discrepancy, right? If you really think about it, um, well, at least, at least in, in my case, there were things that even weren't, uh, uh, that still needed to like T's that needed to be crossed and I's that needed to be dotted and any chance I could, um, to have everyone have more. Uh, that's, that's every action I took, you know, but the, the thing is, it's an irrevocable trust, right? And that means that I can't go against it and they can't go against it. And so that doesn't make me an asshole. It just like, I'm, I'm by law, my, I, I have to follow the rules, you know? And now if people can all unanimously agree on something, right. maybe things can happen. Right. But you know, so far that, you know, at least in our family at this moment, you know, things are good now. It took a while to, you know, to kind of, you know, all get on the same page. And I really chalked that up to, um, you know, the loss of, I mean, the, the, honestly, there's no one else to complain to. You know, do you, are your parents still around? <laughs> you know, my, right, right. My mother is uh, 90, almost going to be 93. She's losing it. So, uh, but you know, the, the weird thing is, like, all I feel, all the issues that that went uh, maybe unsaid to Frank, then got put onto my mother, and you want answers, and you know, X, Y, or Z, and I really, really worked on my relationship with my mother in terms of forgiveness or, you know, I, I had nothing left to, to worry about, you know, and I, I'm not, I was never going to change her. I'm not, that's what I learned, which was, I want to be able to have the best relationship that I can. And, you know, whose fault is it? Uh, and I think I believe this for any human being. If you know that you have issues with certain people, but you, you keep going back into, you know, having issues, um, be smarter about it, you know, have, uh, think of it, think of it in a different way. Make, make the, try, try to do the best that you can. You know, that, that's, that's, I try to be pretty passive, <laughs> you know, okay, in, so in that way. Your brother was on the road mm -hmm. and news would say you wanted a license for use of the name. He always had a license. I mean, the whole, so what happened was I came up with this idea to, I called my brother and well, I met with, um, you'll probably know who he is, uh, Bob Dylan's tour manager and the, this, this other guy named Danny heaps. Right. And I floated this notion of, um, going back, going out on the road, uh, and playing Frank's music so that you know, new, new people could discover the music this is years ago. And I was like, I'll, you know, I'll call it and, you know, uh, see if my, my brother might want to do it with me right. because I, I, after my dad passed, I really had an estranged, you know, relationship, um, with my brother. We started, I mean, we, we did so much work together and, you know, um, I don't know. I just, it's still kind of a mystery to me to this day. Um, around uh, just feelings and things after after my father passed. But 
Um, so I wanted to create this opportunity to say like, Hey, we haven't played music together in a while. Why don't we try to help out the, you know, the family business and do this, you know, thing called Zappa plays Zappa. So when I called him, um, he was like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll just do that, you know, on my own or, or that won't ever happen. You know, that's not real. Now I'd already contacted, uh, the, the people that my dad worked with that, you know, when, for those of you who don't know, if you, you know, you have a band, you might talk with the booking agent, they, uh, will tell you how much you can get for, right. you know, an advance on the shows and, and all of that stuff. So, so I'd done all the legwork. So I, I basically came with a, you know, turnkey, a, operation. Yeah, a turnkey operation. And, um, I said, look, there's, this is just already in, in play. Why don't you know, come to a meeting, come, you know, he just, he didn't believe it. Right. So we all sit down and we have a, we have a meeting and it's like, it's very real. And I'm like, all right, well now it's time to go and talk with our, you know, with Gail and, uh, try to get this going. And the way that it was ultimately organized was, so if it's going to be Zappa plays Zappa, uh, my mother her feelings were, well, is that fair to Diva and Moon? So she was like, I'm going to create this entity called Zappa Plays Zappa that anyone named Zappa, right? It's uniquely, it's just unique for the family that should anyone ever want to do anything with Frank's music, this is the entity, right? And so, cool. Well, I'm, I'm down with that. And then my mother, my brother, myself, we went on a world tour to promote around the world that this is, this is what we were doing. And, um, it, it, you know, we were, we were all moving forward and, and then I just got into this scenario where, you know, my, my mother and, and my brother and, you know, people's emotions and things that, you know, and certainly when it came to money, I was like, you know what, guys, you'd keep it all because I've always kind of been that. It's not about the money for me, you know, and I helped as whenever I could. Uh, I mean, I, I put the whole fucking show together, you know, conceived of having Frank play in the background where Dweezil's playing guitar and, you know, so it's kind of weird when, when I'm trying to put the bizarre world of Frank Zappa together, you know, it's, it's strange to me with people who really don't know. Right. When they have like pushback of like, oh, you know, like having video of Frank and playing with a band, you know, it's a, that's a cash grab. It's the same thing they said about Dweezil and, and me and Gail when we first announced it. And the same thing that they felt when there's a video of Frank in the background with, you know, uh, Dweezil playing. He had to defend all that stuff all day long. And then it, it just, you know, people can read about now who, who's the biggest person who's like you know the negative about it, it you know, but let's get to the time. specific story where he was going to go on the road zappa yeah. play zappa yeah and there was some disagreement between him and you he he said he he wasn't going to be able to use the name i no i i said just pay a dollar for the license he a was, dollar yeah a dollar here's the reason okay when you pay a dollar for the the license it protects the name and the entity. So there's so much that the understanding to try to get underneath it of how it protects the global entity of the concept, which is it's for all of the kids, right? That is not something that 
I guess, you know, that's not his philosophy. And I, look, I, I, you can say like, it's just a dollar, you know? And, and when you go out and play, it protects the, the trademark and the license on a global scale. Like you are the only person, you know, out there in the world who, if we want to protect trademarks and all of those things, which he was, which he did when my mother was alive, it's not like something, it was, it was not like a new concept, right? On every a poster, uh, you know, for Zappa Play Zappa, all of that information is there. It's not like some like, wait, all of a sudden you want to do this? No, it, nothing changed. In fact, instead of paying a lot of money for that license, it was a dollar. <laughs> that's, that's the thing that when, when I became a co-trustee, I was like, all right, fucking, it's just a buck, you know? But Okay, and it, the lore is that Moon was aligned with him. What's her problem with the with your operation of the trust? I personally think it's just that they're not the co-trustees, you know. But but I I'll say all day long. It's I mean it's it's a title. So like go make up your own title. Fucking do whatever the fuck you want to do. Well, how much you of know? it is the thirty thirty twenty twenty? Not a, not a lot of it actually. You know, to the extent that things that were kind of left um uh like the the publishing is kind of it's it's really not that i mean i uh the the percentages at the end of the day are are not even quite that anymore to, that's what i was referring to earlier to the extent that i could make uh more benefit for everyone things that weren't inside the um inside the trust it's i'm not trying to be vague it's it's like the granular minutia of like oh fuck my mom didn't do this contract right or this needs to be done because we have a deal with this partner or x y or z as as much as i could be like this is the easiest way that doesn't go against the trust that everyone gets more right every chance i've been able to do that i've done that every single time okay now, when we talked previously, you said when you took over the trust, yeah. there really wasn't any money coming in. Not a dime. With $5 million in the hole. That's not the case anymore. Okay, the $5 million were those payments to purchase uh, the assets? Oh, there's, there's a, a million different you know things that were uncovered and legal bills and uh, just tons of stuff. Okay, it was just and it's not the case. Since you since you've taken over the operation, mm -hmm. you uh, have gotten rid of the debt. No debt. Okay, and how much income? You know, I, I don't need a specific dollar figure, which wouldn't tell me. Is it enough for all four of you to live on? Um. I, I, yeah, considerable amount of money. I'm, no, I think people make have a very expensive lifestyles. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I can't tell you, but yes, to uh, to to people in the world, <laughs> yes, you could okay. make a lot of money. Yeah. Can you sell the assets? Yeah. And are your siblings talking about doing that, or want that to happen? Well, they wouldn't. They wouldn't be able to do that. Um, uh, I mean, we can talk about, right. you know, those kinds of things, but as the co-trustees, that, that's, I think that that's the psychological rub, which is, you know, at the end of the day, um, it doesn't take, it's, it's not everyone's signature on something, right? you know? Um, but what I say to them, which I've always said to them is like, well, anything that you want to do, right, let's do it. You know? So like the, all you got to do is 
literally anything that you want to do, as long as it doesn't contradict, obviously, like a contract with a partner or something like that's, you know, we're not going to be cavalier and, and, uh, you, you, you know, again, negate something for someone else, but we have the best benefit. I mean, we're the, we're, it's our business. So I can make the, the most favorable scenario for every single one in the family happen, as long as it's the exact same scenario for everyone. So the, the, the benefit I get is the same benefit that Dweezil gets the same benefit that moon get. There's not some magical, there's not some discrepancy, right? That's, that's where like, I sometimes think back and like, what is the real argument over? What, what was anyone getting all their you know panties in a twist over when th- th- it is, you know, um, as an example, if you decided to make a documentary film, right? Mm-hmm. And you're the director, we don't all get your directing fee. As I understand exa- completely. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to do actual business, the estate gets what the estate gets. But if you decided, like my brother's going out there and he's you know playing the music, I was like, pay it. Pay a dollar. <laughs> Keep all the money from the ticket sales, you know, right? Go like you know, here that's that is it, right? That that was literally the deal. The the discrepancy was, well, you, you know, there's merch. What merch is sell, sold at the show and what does everyone get? I'm like, well, the trust spells out what people get. That can't be changed. So there's two ways to do it. You can either buy it all. Right. And then sell it for whatever price you want or it, which is, which is a way to do it. Like buy it at like fucking rock bottom prices. Right. Because it costs money to manufacture it, you know, but even a VIG that would go to the trust is paying yourself. Right. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like the madness of all of that. So I'm like, there's, this is not some, um, it's not rocket science. This, this kind of business happens all day, every day with people. You know, does it? Yeah, it, it, it totally makes sense. So, what's your relationship with Moon and Dweezil today? It's it's better. It's it's you know, uh, my sister actually emailed me today over something pretty um, horrific uh, that uh, was you know I'm not going to get into, but I'm I'm like oh that it was like that's bananas, <laughs> you know, like you know I let me know if you need anything, you know, scary uh, situation. Um, and and my brother, he's out on the road. He's you know he he and I took took a it was a much longer journey to kind of get back to you know a, a, a working you know scenario. But I mean he he's I don't think he's he's like my dad. He never stops. He's always working. He's always playing music. So even just scheduling things or, you know, we, we just, we have to do a better job. I think all of us in the family, it's, it's all the communication and I'm pretty cautious. So when I'm like, all right, if, if you, you know, and they're, and I, I, they want information, right? So I give them as like, it's really simple. I'm like, okay, here's what we'll do. Anything that's happens, we basically send out like our internal, like, here's all the things that happen with the business. You guys are all, you know, all on the same page. This is all the exciting things that are happening. Everyone's in the know, right? But literally no one ever calls. <laughs> no, no one ever calls. Like you give them all the information, right? I'm like, anything you want to do, right? Just I've, they've never called. Okay, switching gears. So what are you doing to enhance the brand and, uh, you know, drive revenue up? Well, um, 
first and foremost, uh, the musical content, right? right? I think the fans, you know, love the music. And I think, I think that people are seeing the difference between the projects that my mother has done and then the projects that I've put out. Uh, I think people are really enjoying them. I brought you some. Uh, right. So how many projects have you released since you were in control? Oh, I, I, sh I should know that, uh, but I don't. Um, uh, Ballpark it. Maybe 12. Okay. You know, but they've been pretty substantial. Um, so you're putting out yeah. physical product. The hardcore fans buy it. You're doing the I show. Worked on the show. We'll get back to that. Mm -hmm. Any other ideas that you're contemplating or have done? You know, I'm, I uh, have been speaking about, um, you know, we could approach to do a biopic. Uh, right. And my mother really kind of started that. And she, she had some pretty amazing friends, great, like really amazing filmmakers. Um, so that's more like a, I think a waiting game because some, right, of, some right, of the, right. some of the people are, are extraordinary, yeah, you know, it's, that, it's the that movie have, business. Yeah. That have expressed interest. And that I think would be, um, cool. If, okay. If done so right. tell us about the road show, the hologram show. It's a, it's a visual smorgasbord of awesome, bro. It is, uh, a, a unique, um, visual experience you know i for me i think it blurs the lines between cinema and a live concert because to to do what we we did i selected uh, an isolated never before heard um uh, recordings from a rehearsal that my dad had in the 70s that's kind of like the the long-haired you right. know like early 70s that's kind of how i always see him in my mind's eye um, and I was wanted to, I, I think, have this '70s vibe to the show. Um, so after listening to the audio and and some really great song choices and some great performances, um, then I started to work in earnest in conceiving of uh, the the storytelling, all of the visuals. So I directed the entire show. You know, I produced the show. Um, uh, I'm grateful to the company Illusion because it's, you know, they they put up all the money, um, and I really got to. I had a really good time, um, you know, doing it, and and I designed the stage, you know, uh, of how it works, and some of the early um, development I did on on some pretty fun projects that never quite saw the the light of day but some interesting experimentation I did at Disney I brought into um you, you know some of the the way that the 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 people that experienced the show the, the holographic projection unit and I say holographic projection unit lightly cuz it's not truly a it's not a true hologram but it's people Pepper's like ghost, yeah right? people like to describe it that way right um, but you know, it, it gives you a sense of volumetric projection, you know, that, that it, when you have a photoreal asset, um, like the photoreal version of my dad, um, you know, it, it looks like he's really on stage and the way that the system that we deployed, um, sits higher than the stage. So I, I created, uh, um, monitors underneath the the 
the quote unquote holographic projection system, mm -hmm. uh, which then elevated the band so that it, it gives the appearance. It's almost like having a stage on top of a stage so that the band is on the same plane of existence as Frank. And then I surround this magic box that we can have, you know, a photoreal Frank appear on stage. I surrounded all of that with, uh, all of these other monitors. Right. So, the the trick of the show, and I think that if you know, I go see a ton of concerts, right? And I'm I'm frustrated a lot of the time where um, the visuals are kind of on repeat, right? You might see, you know, like I went to Guns N' Roses, I love the the show, but I noticed that it's the same skull and roses, right. you know, going around 150 billion times. Um, so the benefit actually uh, of the fact that we have uh, Frank's vocals and his guitars to a click track meant that all of the visuals can be done in time. So the, the storytelling narrative happens, um, across all of the screens, which was a whole fucking clusterfuck to figure out how to fire the video in sync with the band. And then, cause it's a live band making up all of, you know, doing all of the other parts, you know, other than Frank's vocals or maybe some sound effects that we might've had as uh, that relate to what you see. Um, but even Ed Mann was, you know, he's, he would made so many great sounds that plus the experience, um, you know, live every night. So you go on this journey, the, the, the story I wanted to tell was um, from my childhood teenage mind um, my dad introduced me to Marvel Comics. He was one of the first people to advertise uh, in comics for music. and Or he might be the only person that ever did it, for all I know. But um, he, Jack Kirby and my dad were friends. And I have all these awesome memories of like hanging out with Jack fucking Kirby and my dad and listening to Jack talk about how he thought um, George Lucas ripped him off with Star Wars because really Darth Vader is Dr. Doom and kind of went through all the other characters that were the archetypes that he thought for Star Wars. And I was like, oh my God, fucking best conversation ever nerded out. <laughs> and um, uh, so my dad really, my mother and father really loved Norrin Rad, you know, the silver surfer from the planet Zen law, um, and the power cosmic. And, uh, when my dad passed, we were all together as a family and I, I just really remembered the, the power cosmic because the, the light in the room. And I just felt like there's like this light that left the room and, and, and escaped. And this, the narrative I have held with me since his passing is that he kind of went full power cosmic and went, you know, he's now touring the cosmos. <laughs> right. And that, that thing that I, that I gave myself, um, that story that I've had in my brain for so long, that was the starting point for, for how I was thinking about the journey that the audience would go on. So really the opening of the show is, is Frank harnessing as much of, of this power to um, journey back to us for this wonderful night of music. Um, and he, you know, so it's like 
it's it's the cosmos and a giant star star filled Frank head, you know, massive, and then it, it all coalesces into this one bright ball of light that you know blasts the audience. And when you're you know you open your eyes again, there is Frank holographically, you know, on stage, just fucking crushing the solo for Cosmic Debris, um, and. Then I wanted to make sure that from song to song, you're never seeing the same experience. So you just, it's, it's all rooted in, um, things, animation styles or film styles that my dad loved or conversations I had with him. All of that became the, the nutrients that went into the storytelling that, uh, the, that's the, sh that's the show I grew out of memories and, and really fond recollections, uh, that I had with my dad. And, you know, he loved Terry Gilliam. He loved the art style of, you know, Monty Python. So for Stinkfoot, you know, we, we went um, searching for thousands and thousands of postcards that we could, that we chopped up to kind of get to, to, to emulate that style of animation. Um, and it's, it's the, that song became this biological attack, the, this evil Stinkfoot, you know, force of nature that uh, first takes over Havana and, and, you know, then spreads to the rest of the world. Wow. You know. So it's quite a show. But in any event, you've been listening to Ahmed Zappa. This is the source on all things Zappa, co-trustee of the Zappa Trust. Ahmed, you're obviously a creative man. A lot of synapses firing. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's do it again sometime. You bet. Till next time, this is Bob Left Sucks. Affordable private Christian university is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis, mm -hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then mm -hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.